Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Okay, so the week before last, Peggy taught on God's promised kingdom. She did a really good job. I think one of Peggy's superpowers is being able to like teach the entirety of the Bible in 30 minutes. Every time, I don't know how she does it, it really is like, well, so if you have listened to it or if you haven't, I highly recommend going back because um, you'll get something new out of it even if you did hear it. But she was talking about God's promised kingdom. So out of that teaching, I have a question for us. What is a promise? Does anyone want to give a, an attempt? All right, good. I have a backup just in case of the dictionary. So according to the dictionary, a promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. A legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so promises here, it's clear, are something that are declared. And declared means to make known publicly. And then so if something's made known publicly, that implies, right, that there's an audience. There's someone to listen. There's someone to hear. One or more, right? There has to be someone, maybe even to read, right? You could write a declaration and it could be read. But that there is an audience. So it's in the naming, in the speaking, in the announcing, in the stating of a promise, and that promise being heard, that actually creates the promise. That those things come together to form what a promise is. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, so according to this definition, a promise also gives the person who's received the promise the right to expect or claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. They have the right to expect the thing promised to happen, right? Now, as humans, we know that every time we've been given a promise or made a promise, they always happen, right? You've never had a promise broken? No, that's not true, right? Everyone in here has made a promise probably they haven't kept at least once and been given a promise that wasn't kept to them. So, you know, your expectations around promise keeping can be, you know, feel risky and varying degrees of that, depending on how we have journeyed through life, how we feel about promises. But as Peggy shared last week when she was talking about God's promised kingdom, she talked about God is faithful to keep his promises. Every promise God makes, he keeps, right, throughout. He has this track record of promise keeping. And she talked a lot about his faithfulness. But he has this track record of keeping promises also because he's righteous. And to be righteous, if he says he's going to do something, he has to do it or he would actually cease to be righteous. It's literally impossible for God to make a promise and not keep the promise he has said he has made. So under God's reign, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God, the way the kingdom of God works, when God declares a promise, his declaration begins that promise's guaranteed completion. 
which is different than when a human makes a promise, where there's a waiting period and a risk, will it happen where it won't? When God makes a promise, the very declaration of that promise guarantees that promise's completion. Make sense? All right. Okay, so normally we put words up on the screen. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give us some exercise today. I'd like us to get our Bibles out. You can use your phone Bible. There should be Bibles scattered around. And if you don't have one, you're also welcome to listen because I'll read it out loud to you. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to look at a promise that God made. And we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. So if you're using like a tangible, is it tangible if it's in the phone? I don't know. But this kind, it's like about there, right? It's going to be past half the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Some things to know about this promise. Isaiah is writing a promise that God has declared through Isaiah, which then the name for that is prophet. That's what we call him. He writes in the first person, but it's not actually about Isaiah. It's the way he's writing. And it's written in the form of a poem. So it's full of metaphor and allegory and all those fun things that come with poetry. Okay, so everybody got it? Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So that's the promise, something God has declared, recorded by Isaiah. So now I want us to travel in our Bibles a few hundred years forward to Luke chapter 4. This is in the New Testament. So more like this, if you've got a paper one, more towards the back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
So we're Luke chapter 4. We're going to pick up at verse 14. Give you a minute to get there. Now, prior to this moment, <clears throat> Jesus has been born. He's grown up. He's in his 30s-ish, going to the river, gets baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. When that happens, God's voice booms like thunder. This is my son, who I'm well pleased and Jesus is anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he leaves the river and he goes and enters the wilderness and spends time there being tempted for 40 days. And he returns from the wilderness. And this is where we'll be picking up in verse 14. It's after that return. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This section really fascinates me. So I just want to pull out some of the things that fascinate me. First, I think it's interesting that Jesus shows up to read, stands up, and is just handed the scroll of Isaiah. doesn't ask for it. He stands, and that's what's given to him. Reads it. Rolls it back up. And I picture Jesus doing this, like, really kind of intentionally and slowly because he never hurries, you know, just reading it and then taking his time to roll it hands it back to the attendant, and sits. And again, I picture like a decently long pause when he sits, like he, he reads it and he just sits, which is why their eyes were fastened on him. They were waiting for him to speak. And instead of doing a long teaching, which would be normally what would be expected in that moment, he says, in your hearing, the scripture is fulfilled. No miracles done. No cross yet, no resurrection. That's not even on people's radar, even the slightest yet. All that's happened in here is speaking and hearing. And somehow in the hearing, the promise is fulfilled. It could have just said, today the scripture is fulfilled. And yet he's intentional with his words, in your hearing. And I think this is really interesting, and it gets me thinking like, well, why is that? And then I start thinking, why did God even add the proclaim part to the promise in the first place? Because when God declares a promise, his declaration guarantees the promised completion. So why include more declaring in the promise itself? Why include more proclaiming in the promise itself? 
Like, don't you think God could have just done the doing part? Like something like this. An anointed one will come to help the poor, free the prisoner, restore the blind, set the oppressed free. When you see all that, you can know the year of the Lord's favor has started. God's kingdom has come. Just look for those signs. That could have been, right? Seems to me it could. Why is proclamation included? Why is speaking and hearing a part of how God's promise is fulfilled. When Jesus uh, is teaching the parable of the sower, Matthew, somewhere in Matthew, parable of the sower, and the disciples are really confused about not just that parable, but just his way of teaching and parables in general, and they're asking Jesus, why do you teach the way you do? Why do you do the things the way you do. And Jesus quotes Isaiah again in response to their question. And this is what he says. They may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, there's a lot more that could be pulled out of that text, but the part that I want us to focus on is it's interesting. There's a seeing and a perceiving and a hearing and an understanding that might cause people to turn and be forgiven. Seeing and hearing seems to be essential, straight out of the mouth of Jesus, to a person actually turning towards Jesus, experiencing his goodness, his forgiveness, his freedom. Everywhere Jesus went, he proclaimed the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. We teach about it, claim it, and then he would demonstrate it. And he would demonstrate it by the flashy things, the healings, the deliverances, resurrections. But he would also demonstrate it by the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of dignity. It's all over Jesus' life and ministry, the whole thing. Proclaiming the good news, the kingdom is at hand, and then showing that it was. And the lives and ministries of those who follow Jesus are also full of this, seeing and hearing, seeing and hearing. And it seems to be that that combination of hearing and seeing is integral to the kingdom story. And in the vineyard, how we like to say that is that the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the demonstration of the kingdom of God turn people to Jesus. Proclaiming the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom, leads to people turning to Jesus. So next week we're going to focus on the, the demonstration part, but obviously today it's the proclaiming part. I had very mixed feelings about being <laughs> the one to talk about the, complaining, the proclaiming part. Because I have a whole lot of mixed feelings about proclaiming, which I know can sound weird because I'm standing up here but it's been a journey. Um, and even with me up here, so many mixed feelings, complicated feelings about it. Do any of you have complicated feelings about proclaiming? Or are you all like, yep, we do it everywhere we go, proclaim, proclaim. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Like last week when you guys got to have that time of like worship where it wasn't about song and music, it was actually worship from your heart and the 
the floor was just open to speak. Did any of you experience like a tension of wanting to like say the thing you know is true about God, but not being able to do it? Like it comes right here and gets stuck. Or your head starts racing of all the things that like how you'll say it wrong or it's not quite right or it's better to be silent or all the things that just start happening in the, the moment just before you have an opportunity to proclaim. That tension happens to me all the time. Um, and often when I have that tension, not often, always, when that tension comes up, what immediately happens to me is I find myself boarding what I like to call the reasons I'll not be doing that train. <laughs> and on this train, we have stops like don't know enough ridge, still sins a lot ditch, other people have got this lane, rather keep my friends boulevard, introvert pass, too awkward junction, and more. <laughs> this train is super loud and it's really long. <laughs> and usually by the time it's passed, the moment's over. Maybe next time. <clears throat> so several years ago, I was on one of these train rides. And the great thing about Jesus is that he doesn't ever leave you or forsake you even when you're riding these trains. He's always with you. So he's with me on the train and I'm complaining. We'll just call it that. It's, I could call it prayer, but really I'm complaining. <laughs> and I'm complaining about the out loud parts of following God. I don't love the out loud parts. I don't like the risk involved with being out loud. Seems really unnecessary. Seems like he could have come up with a better plan. And I just wrestle with him. Why? Why the out loud parts? And then I eventually just get to the part that I can't. I know what this thing says about do it as you go, but I can't. I can't do that. It is impossible for me. I can't do that out loud part. And in the conversation, I felt like Jesus was like, you can't? And I was like, yes, that is right. I cannot do it. And I felt like Jesus said, and when I say that Jesus said, it's not like an audible voice. It's like this thought enters that isn't my own. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And what I felt like Jesus said to me was this, what about Netflix? <laughs> what is right? Uh, when I heard that, actually, instantly what happened, I knew, like, the, you know, when you hear something and a flood of everything falls into your head. Back in 2001 and prior, I was under this rule and reign of blockbuster video. And it was oppressive. The late fees, the having to actually get up out of your house to go find a movie and bring it back. It's hard times. And most of the time when you went to this place, it didn't even have the movie you wanted, but you were there, so you were gonna rent something because you'd made it all the way there and you get it home and then if someone calls you, hey, you want to do something? And then you have to be like, well, I don't know. This is due back tomorrow. Do I go with you? Do I do this? I don't know. And then you would have to maybe sh like show up late places. You're like, sorry, I'm going to be late. I have to get the video back. Because if I don't, I'm going to pay three times what I did to rent it in the first place, a movie I didn't want. It was hard, hard times. <laughs> hard times. One day, G Jeremy was like, hey, listen. He was on what we used to call back then the World Wide Web. I was thinking about that. It's like, that's so funny we don't call it that anymore. But he was browsing on that. 
And he's like, I found this company that's doing something new where they'll send you in the mail your DVD. Now this is like, hmm, today we don't care. Back then it was like, what? No. You don't have to go anywhere? No. And it's a flat rate. And there's no late fees. And you can keep things as long as you want. You're free. And I was like, that can't be. I, you know, whenever someone tells me something that sounds really good, like suspicion immediately rises up in me. That <laughs> my reaction, I just didn't believe. I was like, I don't think this is a gimmick. This is awful. And Jeremy's like, let's just try it. 30 days, no, you know, risk-free trial or whatever it was. And he's like, we don't like it. We just cancel it. I was like, okay, okay, okay. Super suspicious. I was like, this isn't impossible. It was so different from, from what I knew of how things could operate. I just didn't think this other thing was possible. So we try it, and it worked. Like I could sit at a computer, pick what I wanted, only the movies I wanted, always got them, showed up in the mail, sent them back when I felt like, no late fees, no pressure to get it watched by a certain time. And I was so happy. <laughs> like I was just like, so happy. And like any time I went anywhere where someone complained about a video rental situation, talked about a movie they had recently rented, popcorn, any of those topics adjacent to the topic of that, I was like, have you heard about Netflix? It would just come out of me. I couldn't, I couldn't not talk about it because I was like, is this, this thing is so good. So good. I made zero commission and I'm pretty sure like I, I established the company's uh, acclaim it has now. So in that question, when Jesus asked me, what about Netflix? All of that flooded instantly into my mind. And then what it exposed was that I could in fact proclaim, was willing, even eager to proclaim the kingdom of Netflix. <laughs> and all they had done was make my life a little bit more convenient. And it just flowed out of me. But I can't. It's impossible for me to proclaim where I had received a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And when Jesus exposed that in me, you know, it's like, ah, it's like a gump punch. And all I could say was, I'm sorry, Jesus, but I need your help. And with all his love and compassion that he always has for all of us, I felt like he said, you know, you can talk about me just like you talk about Netflix. Do you think that's possible? Do you think that's true, not just for me, but for you? That it's possible to proclaim Jesus, proclaim his kingdom, just like that? Just be like going about your life and paying attention to the cues, your ears and eyes open to like conversations and words and things happening about you and you hear them and then you just respond to them out of something that you've experienced that just comes easily from you? Because you're like, oh, hey, I know about this thing. Do you think that's possible for you? Do you think that's possible for all of us? I just want you to sit for a minute and think about it. Notice what's happening in your head, your body, 
when you think about this, does it really feel possible? Not just that quick, oh yeah, sure. What's happening deep? Does it feel possible for you? Does anyone here know about the snake dove? This is the snake dove. <laughs> Before Jesus is sending out his disciples for the very first time to kind of go out and start doing this proclaiming thing, he's really honest with them. He's like, I'm sending you out into like a really harsh environment, a complicated environment. Loads of different reactions and thoughts and feelings about this whole situation. This is what I'm sending you out to. So therefore... Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And I call that the snake dove. <laughs> now, when we hear that metaphor, shrewd as snake, innocent of doves, because we've all got you know, our own stories, our own feelings about words, we can kind of draw out what we think that means out of our worldview, out of our experience. So it can be helpful to actually like, look maybe at the original meaning of the word, like what that audience would have heard when they heard it in their language. And so when Jesus said, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves, what he's saying in shrewd is having what we would maybe call savvy or the ability to just size things up. Like he's speaking about size things up and then make good judgments from an inner wisdom. Make good judgment. Size things up. Be shrewd means to size things up and use that inner wisdom that you have from what you've already encountered, a knowing because you've experienced directly, right? Not just a head knowing, but like you head and actual encounter. And the innocent here, you know, we can think innocent as dove as being pure and perfect, and that's not really what is meant by the word in this spot. It's talking about be simple, unsophisticated, sincere, without sinless motive. Being yourself. Not trying to be something different. So to be shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove is what I think Jesus was saying to me when he said, you can talk about me just like you did about Netflix. You see, when I was talking about Netflix, I was simply sharing something that I had encountered that was better than what I had to someone else because I wanted that better for them. I was super unsophisticated, <laughs> super simple, just myself. No other motives than wanting the better for the other. This room is full of snake doves. And I can say that because also when Jesus says, therefore be, he's saying, let it be so. When he said that word, it could be translated, let it be so. This room is full of snake doves. Anyone here who has declared with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and believed in their heart that he was raised from the dead, you are a snake dove. You already have an inner wisdom. You have already encountered enough of God to be able to share him. No matter how long you've been on that journey, whether this is your first week or you've been 80 years, you have enough to share from an inner wisdom as yourself what you know, what you have encountered about who he is as you go. Us, as a community here, VCC, Vineyard Church, we actually have a collective inner wisdom. Because of each of our individual encounters with God, when we come together, we have a collective inner wisdom of knowing Jesus. We have a collective way of being sincere and simple. We're super unsophisticated. <laughs> um, but it's a way to be ourselves and a unique way that we do that. We are a community of snake doves who have been called to proclaim as we go. So that people can hear and turn to Jesus. We are a community of people placed right here out of the entirety of the world, right here, on purpose. Because what we have uniquely that comes together to create something new collectively is exactly what this area needs. This little part of the world. We already have enough to proclaim. And what we have to proclaim is what people need to hear. Maybe the snake dove thing, you know, made you laugh, but doesn't really resonate or click for you the way it did for me. Maybe the Netflix thing doesn't really. It's okay. Because like what I said at the beginning is that I don't think it's about more than Jesus just wanting to stir something up in us. Not to maybe resolve all the things. Not to be like, oh, now you're a walk out and you're all proclaimers. That would be awesome. But I know we're in different places on that. And I'm okay with that because I trust Jesus to move us. I trust Jesus to open us up And I can trust him because he's already declared things about us. And when God declares it, it's so. And so I want to just take a minute and read to you what he says about who we are. We are called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, right here. We will restore places long devastated, places that have been devastated for generations. We are called priests of the Lord. We are named ministers of our God. 
Instead of shame, we have received a double portion. We have received a blessing. Instead of disgrace, we can rejoice as sons and daughters in an inheritance that includes the entirety of the kingdom of God. Everlasting joy is ours. We have been rewarded with an everlasting covenant. He has clothed us with garments of salvation, and he has arrayed us in robes of his righteousness. And it is the sovereign Lord who will make righteousness and praise spring up out of us before the world. It is the sovereign Lord who will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Let it be so, Lord.